Fantasy Focus Baseball Podcast with Carabelle and Cockcroft. That's it. I thought you were going to sing Manic Monday. What did you say? What are you singing? What is, what's that tune? Oh, wow. Did you sleep through the 90s? It's either that or I'm just way off key today. Well, yeah, I kind of did. For music purposes, I did sleep through the 90s. If you want to know the truth. Come on. Everybody knows closing time. Oh, is that what that is? <laughs> yeah. That? I don't know who sings that. Semisonic. Of course they do. That's uh, singing Tristan Cockcroft, the H in the middle, singer of songs, winner of myriad leagues. Young Kyle Sapi produces and researches our show called Fantasy Focus Baseball. It is Monday, May 18, 2020. I am Eric Carabell. Somebody had a host. Um, I, You know, last time you were singing, I, I don't know why this came to mind, this Keats quote, a thing of beauty is a joy forever. And then before the show, I Googled Keats to see if he actually said that line. And there's another famous quote from him. And that probably works for what you just sung. Heard melodies are sweet, but those unheard are sweeter. <laughs> I think that might work for that one there. A little disappointing to me. <laughs> you just don't appreciate your 90s music. Well, except well, for SBK. We I talked don't about know that. my 90s music. <laughs> um, on today's show, well, I don't know. What are we going to do today? I, we're going to talk about Tristan's recent playbook article on league-wide trends, which is cool. We'll delve a little bit into the latest in the simulations that um, baseball reference through Out of the Park Baseball 21. And then later on, Kyle will read your hash browns, and Tristan, who actually wins his leagues, will answer those questions. Um, let's start off briefly with some sim notes here that I noticed. I'm not going to talk about team records or whatever. Um, just looking at the leaderboards. So we always talk about the players who – Maybe we should think about late in the draft. I want to talk to you now, Tristan, about players who we're not thinking about, say, in the first three or four rounds, but perhaps we should. Perhaps the simulation loves these people for a reason, and we're just not thinking of them that way. You know, like if somebody in your league drafted in a normal season, 162 gamer, if somebody drafted Ozzy Albies in round three, we'd laugh at them. We'd say, no, we value them in round five or six or whatever. He's hitting 372 with a ton of doubles. And a lot of stuff. I think he's stealing bases, scoring runs. Yeah, there he is. So he's like third in the league in runs. Should we be thinking of Ozzy Albies as a better player than we value him? Because where we rank him is meaningless. That's just the value. Um. Yeah, we should. Uh, I actually think we do value him on the higher end of the scale. Uh, and if it's anything larger than the 10-team leagues, when you mentioned third round, uh, it, it might be too late in the 15-teamers. Hey, he probably actually will go in the early part of the third round. I think Albies is a very good, very under, underrated player who has a chance to be a top 15 overall performer this year on the high end. Uh, had some very key skills uh, improvements last year. One of the things that bothered me about him during the rookie year or the first full major league year was that he really cratered in the second half. Uh, a lot of the a lot of the skills regressed, but he he rebounded in a major way in 2019, and I think those are sustainable. He's a good balanced categorical guy. And we would obviously need stolen bases out of him to make it worth it. And part of the reason I think we discussed him is will he bat second? He has to bat second over Dansby Swanson. Although sometimes that wasn't the case last year. Speaking of batting second, so I'm watching on my television right now on MLB Network, Game 3 of the 1970 World Series. And Mark Belanger was introduced you know, by the announcer, batting third, the shortstop, Mark Belanger. And I'm thinking, Mark Belanger, he couldn't hit. How is he batting second for this World Series team? They win the World Series. He slugged 259. 
He batted that year 218 with a 303 on base. He was easily the worst hitter in Baltimore's lineup, and he batted second anyway. But 50 years ago, role? baseball was very different. You remember the rule back then? The manager rule was the, the base stealer batted first, even if he wasn't an on-base guy. The second guy was a guy who handles the bat well. And then the third guy was your batting title candidate. And then your power hitter was your fourth guy. That was like a formula from, well, up until what, 85, 87? Um, yeah, a little bit. I mean, Larry Bow is still batted second for like the 80 Phillies, I think. It's just handled the bat well. Awful, awful. Did I draft Bow in that Phillies draft over the weekend? I don't remember. Um Let's move on. All right, so we like Albies. What about Cattell Marte? And, and his he interests me for a couple of reasons. He's batting three forty eight in the sim. He's um, I don't think he's stealing bases. I'm not sure even where I would find that. But he's also he's got the most doubles in the league. He's scoring runs. And then in our 30, 30 team simulation, he's batting like three ninety five. Three ninety five. So yeah, yeah. We've talked about Marte before. Obviously, batting at the top of Arizona's lineup, the the better Marte. But like. Starling Marte is going before Cattell Marte. And I think we discussed this a month ago. Should that happen? Yeah. What if Cattell Marte is not going to regress? Uh, yeah, you know, you mentioned the 30-team sim. And yeah, since it's all about my teams here, <laughs> I have Cattell Marte. League leader on batting average, 394. He's uh, 451 on base, second. 767 slugging, second. He's first in RBI. He's tied for first in runs. He's first in hits. And, you know... These Sims are telling me something, and that is that if he can repeat the skill set he showed in 2019, did he underperform last year? That's I, the thing. Like I, we, we're, assuming, we're, we're assuming the regression. Everybody is assuming. I think 98% of people are assuming regression. But what if that was not his peak? What if Cattell Marte could still offer more? It, Shouldn't he, he be a third-round pick that way? Yeah, and and – Kind of like Albies, you know, I, I contrast Albies against Cattell Marte and I ask myself, who would I rather have? And part of it has to be that Marte brings me outfield eligibility so that there's flexibility there. I would take Cattell's power stroke over Ozzy Albies. And if Ozzy Albies doesn't steal bases, let's say if he does bat second for the Braves and they don't want to give him the green light because they have their three, four, five hitters up and they're going to drive him in. Is Marte more attractive than I? Yeah, it's a good question. I. It's not that I want to push Marte up in my draft boards, but I'm much more apt to draft him if we were going to do it today than I might have been two months ago. So I guess this would be like a middle infielder show. So we mentioned Albies, Marte. What about Bo Bichette at Toronto? He's currently simming along in 47 games. He's batting 302 with nine home runs, nine steals, and nearly as many walks as strikeouts. And people aren't going to draft him in the first five rounds because he doesn't have enough of a sample size in his career. But what if he's better than both Marte and Ozzy Albies? He's leading off for a team that's going to score runs. That Toronto lineup is much better than people think. Vlad, Lourdes Goriel is having a monster power season again. Um, Randall Gritchick is all power. Toronto's hitting. If Bo is leading off, he's on a pace right now for 30-30. I mean, it's 47 games. He's on pace for a 30-30 season with a 300 batting average. And I say this to people all the time. If you want to draft Bo Bichette in round three, even though his value is round six, go ahead. Because it's just us ranking players. It doesn't mean we're right. It means you could probably wait a round or two to get him. That's what ADP kind of means. But if you think Bo Bichette is going to be the next Francisco Lindor, you take him early. Yeah. I, I'm Not round one, I'm, but 
Bobby Shad is is simming like a top. Why? why if fantasy. you're gonna throw round three, why are you gonna? Why not round one? If you're if you're gonna take this approach of you want you the player, to. get the player. Why? Well, you do you have to in round three? To me, and and this is the big difference between the auctions and the drafts. Is in the auction, I have complete control over the scenario. If I think Bobichet has the ability to produce first round results, I'm going to outbid you for Bobichet in the auction. In a draft, you have to make the calculation as to is there another person in this draft who values Bobichet as much as I do, which is way beyond his ADP. And maybe that means you take him in the third round. But if the ADP is telling me he's an eighth or ninth round pick, maybe I need to take him in round six in order to ensure I get him. Right. I'm not there, yeah, that's why I would, letting him go. That's why you don't take him in round one. You don't have to. But I mean, Albies has seven home runs, 13 steals. And 372. Now, his walk to strikeout does not tell us that he can maintain his batting average. I'm sure there's battle going on there. It's just, that's my point is like, if you really want one of these players, take him a little bit early because, you know, like Devers last year, a lot of us thought Raphael Devers was going to be a star. And he, he wasn't, his ADP wasn't star level. Now it is. <laughs> so if you, if you thought that he was going to be a monster and you missed out because somebody took him in round eight and you were planning on round nine, well, that's on you. That's the problem. ADP is anonymous. It does not apply to your league individually, and there could always be another person who has the opinion that you do. So it's your job to calculate what is the latest you can possibly wait on the player that you really want while still ensuring that you get said player. That's what you throw round three, and it's just I don't I don't want us being attached to Boba Shit as a third round pick. I'm not on board with that. But I'm also not as aggressively pursuing Boba Shit, certainly not as much as Albies or Marte. Absolutely. Let's talk about your awesome playbook article. People should be checking out Tristan's work at ESPN's Fantasy Baseball page. I don't know where you're listening to our show. Probably not off of ESPN, but you could. there's good material that we're still writing. I've been doing my series on every major league team, which will continue for the rest of the month. And then Tristan's playbook, which tells you actually how to win leagues. Why wouldn't you be reading this? And you're, you have six topics covered in this, and, and a couple of them I don't – like I don't care about the three-batter minimum. I don't, I don't think it's going to have a major effect on fantasy. But obviously the baseball does, the closer committee situations, uh, position scarcity is another one that's interesting to me. So we always say, Tristan, that there is no position scarcity. Tell everybody what you mean by that, and do you think it's different this year? Yeah, um, in certain years, and especially in the past, so if you're a long-time fantasy baseball player, there was the issue of position scarcity, and it usually applied to the middle infield spots, shortstop and second base, where there were a handful of players who would give you elite numbers. I, I still remember the AL-only leagues of the late 90s where you'd have A-Rod and Derek Jeter and Nomar Garciaparra, and at certain points it would be Miguel Tejada. And after that, it, the position just dropped off talent-wise off a cliff. Nowadays, however, it is not quite that way. Shortstop is usually the first place that people go for position scarcity. And last year, shortstop was one of the richest positions in all of fantasy if you use player rater numbers. And one of the advantages for the player rater on ESPN is that it does not weight valuations for players based on their positions. So you can pull those numbers and get an idea of how valuable that spot was. Well, shortstop was one of the most valuable positions. Second base, not incredibly shallow. The only position that truly applied in terms of position scarcity in 2019 and for a larger part, 2018 as well, was catcher. Catcher was positively dreadful. It's why it's one of the six topics I discuss in this playbook uh, section 
by itself is catcher and the fact that there aren't any quality catchers. It's almost like we're back to the 80s at that particular spot. But I would say, and I would advise, and Eric, I'm sure you would agree with me, that people who are drafting in 2020 should not be applying any sort of extreme position scarcity at any spot this year. I actually think they're all pretty balanced. There's no reason to aggressively push anything unless you're in a, a dynasty or a keeper league and it's first base you're looking at. The first base pool long-term concerns me. When you wrote about the baseball here, and your and your basic point is that you're it's reactionary. We're not going to know about the baseball, but all the simulations seem to believe that uh, there's going to be the same baseball as last year. So should we not um, objectively be drafting as if last year's baseball is back? Yes, but apply a hint of regression. Never pay for the all-time record of anything. No, I don't think Pete Alonso is hitting 50 home runs, even though in the sim and baseball ref, he's on pace for more than that. But right. I guess my point is, everybody's assuming some regression of the baseball. You have a three-year average here. Why is there a three-year average on the baseball? Last year's baseball was totally different. I would argue that there's – it's almost like – here's my here's my um, my analogy. I'm not looking at three-year numbers for Cattell Marte because two and three years ago mean nothing to me now because of what he did last year. I don't average out those three years because I think what Cattell Marte did last year is more like the new one. With Nelson Cruz or other established players, I will average three years. But for Cattell Marte, I won't. For the baseball, I'm not going to average the last three years because last year's baseball could be this year's baseball. It's not like a player that gets tired or fatigued or injured. It could be that baseball. Why would you average three-year sample over the baseball? I'm not. That's one of the points I make in the column is that I give you the three-year average and that I regress it halfway towards last year's total, which still, by the way, gives the major leagues the second highest total in the history of baseball in terms of home runs. That means I do pretty much assume we're going to see the baseball that we did last season. But you have to make this decision. Each person has to make this decision. And the comp I'm going to give you is an individual one. If you wanted to pay in 2002 for Barry Bonds as if he's going to hit another 73 home runs, feel free. That's your call. I won't pay for it. I am never going to pay for an all-time record on, you know, like one penny per one penny. I'm not going to do it the year after. I am going to always regress a little bit towards the mean, but I do think it's responsible of us as drafters to assume that the baseball of last year is the one we're going to see. And and I put this line in here. We say it all the time. I know even Ron Chandler has said this when we did panels at the first pitch Arizona series. A rising, uh, a rising tide raises all boats. Man, those things were fun. Hope we get to do them again. Um, all right, let's move on then. Oh, you have trivia, I assume. Let's get trivia oh. in so we can answer it a little bit later on. Trivia, trivia, let's do trivia. All right. Um, I hope Eric that the likes 90s this too. I don't think that, that was the 90s. That was the 80s, right? That Who sings the, that? 1980 or 1981? Who sings that song? The Grease oh. Lady? Yeah, gosh. Uh, what's her name? Olivia uh, Newton-John. Olivia yes. Newton-John. Oh, how could I forget? I don't know. <laughs> All right. So, Eric, I hope you like this. There's a little bit of a, a hinted theme at this for uh-huh. But both of you can answer this question. So the interesting discovery is that eight players in history have amassed at least 300 home runs and stolen bases in their career. Eight players reached 300-300 for their careers, but only two of those are in the Hall of Fame, Andre Dawson and Willie Mays. Right. What I would like each of you to name 
are the six players with at least 300 career home runs and stolen bases who are not in the Hall of Fame? Well, the two Bonzes. <laughs> but <laughs> an A-Rod. Well, we, we'll, we'll, we will confirm the answers on this a little bit later, but you might be on the right track. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 the two Bonzes are obvious, but we'll get to the answer a little bit later on. First, though, I think I have actually something to read here, so I'm going to read it. Um, for e-commerce businesses, shipping in two days or less is the new standard. As a growing business, how can you keep up? Well, we're introducing Shippo. Your business's new secret weapon. Shippo, that's S-H-I-P-P-O, is the only shipping software for growing businesses that you can start today. Set up in minutes and then ship today because they ship hundreds of millions of packages. Shippo's volume discounts save you up to 90% off carrier rates. Simply connect your online store to Shippo. No coding or technical expertise required. They will instantly identify the lowest shipping rates from 55-plus top global carriers like UPS, USPS, FedEx, and DHL. Your orders are automatically pulled in and ready to go. Just click, print, and ship. Plus, automated return labels are free. You only pay if your customers use them. Companies that use Shippo save thousands of dollars, free up hours of valuable time, and on average, grows 77% year over year. Join over 100,000 companies like Goat, Hims, and MeUndies who are saving up to 90% off carrier rates with Shippo. For our listeners, they are offering their best discount available anywhere. Get a shipping consultation and Shippo Pro Plan 6-month trial for free at goshippo.com slash focus. That's up to a $700 value for free at goshippo.com slash focus. So go right now and get your shipping consultation and Shippo Pro Plan six-month trial for free at goshippo.com slash focus. All right, now we bring in Kyle because we've got some uh, questions from the uh, listeners from Twitter. And uh, we're going to get just a little uh, note here. So we'll have a show this Thursday, and it will be our friend June Lee. Uh, back with us to talk about a movie of his generation, The Sandlot, which is a good movie, classic movie. And uh, June and Tristan and I will uh, will talk about it. Kyle, I don't know if you've seen The Sandlot. Um, I guess that's more your generation than Bad News Bears is. Uh, but uh, a good movie, an interesting movie. Um, so that'll be Thursday. And then next Monday is Memorial Day. And uh, even though we've all kind of been on holiday for the last two months, uh, we're definitely next Monday. So there's no show then, unless something changes. So we'll go today, then Thursday, then the following Thursday, and that's the way it is. All right, Kyle, have you ever seen that? Well, have you ever seen The Sandlot? I haven't. I'm I'm very low on the movie totem pole here, but there's a very good chance I watch it between now and Thursday just so I can keep up. Because, like you said, you're teasing it that it's my generation, so at least there's some interest level there. That's right. We are teasing you. <laughs> nice. All right. <laughs> You'll enjoy it. you got to watch it. Be ready. For I know some of the key lines. Like it's been on social media enough that I feel like I, I could piece together what it's about. But I might have to watch it start to finish. I don't like dogs, so I might have a problem. But yeah. I'll, I'll try to be happy on the show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just not. You know, not everybody's a fan. I'm one of those people. That's quite all right. It'll be a good discussion. I'm curious to see what happens with this one. <laughs> yeah. All right. What hashes uh, we got? Ben wants to know what, who has the bigger impact on the Phillies over the next 162 games, whenever that takes place, Spencer Howard or Alec Bone? Yeah, I think it has to be. Um, I think it has to be Spencer Howard because they're so desperate 
for a, a, a usable number three starter. Um, Arietta, Velasquez, Pavetta. I mean, stop with this, these guys. I mean, they, they can't stop it because they don't have a three, four, or five starting pitcher they can rely on. I think Spencer Howard should be the three starting in July. And I, even though he skipped AAA, and I think he's going to be good enough. So even with the DH, they could promote Alec Bohm, make him a DH, or put him at third or first. But um, I think they're going to be far more likely to give Spencer Howard the shot over the next 162, which will be this year and the first part of next year. I don't know what they're going to do to make an opening for Alec Bohm next year. I mean, Segura is still under contract. They don't have to trade him. Um, Reese Hoskins, I argue, is not a safe dynasty pick at all. Reese, by the way, I, again, it's just simulations, but Reese Hoskins is doing awful in these simulations, and not just one. The baseball ref simulation throughout of the park. I'm doing a simulation game on Dynasty League Baseball where Hoskins is batting like 145. I can't even play him all the time. The problem is Jay Bruce, the other first baseman, is batting 180. So that's my like first base platoon. They're both terrible. My team is terrible there. But it's a lot of fun, Dynasty League Baseball. Anyway, Hoskins is, is simming so badly, I wonder if the, there's something there. He was simmed off on the second half of last season. So Bohm could end up being the first baseman uh, in two years, and Hoskins might just be like Darren Ruff in two years, honestly. So oh. I, well, oh. I'm not trying to be mean, but <laughs> I don't think – I think Reese Hoskins is going to be overdrafted for this year. There's a lot of risk in batting average there. Why would you draft a guy whose upside might be 240? There's other power hitters that you can get later in your draft about 240 or just ignore them altogether. Anyway, to answer the question, I think it's Howard over Bohm. Do you agree with that, Tristan? I do, yeah. I think there's just going to be a greater team need for Howard. The other thing, too, is I think you and I were in agreement that Howard is probably more major league ready to throw the air quotes around it. But to, to just provide a little validity to the question, I'm going back to your comment, Eric, before about the DH. The fact that there will be a DH, and if that is now permanent, as we suspect, that does probably benefit Bohm's prospects of a, a sooner call-up. Seems like consensus there. Luke wants to know who your favorite active player is to watch. Chase Utley still active? <laughs> no, Chase Utley does not count. My God, he I, he was my favorite. Oh. Um, Favorite active player. I mean, I, I mean, who doesn't like to see Mike Trout play? I mean, come on. He's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's a terrific player. I, I'll admit, I couldn't stand Bryce Harper as a national, but I love him now as a Philly. His effort level is right there. Um, he, maybe he's not – you see, he's going to end up in the Hall of Fame. But he just keeps doing what he's doing. He doesn't have to have another 10-war season to be a Hall of Famer. He just has to kind of do this five-war seasons for the next decade. Yeah. Um, but he's, he's fun to watch. I mean – like, I mean, I got to look at the, like, I guess I don't think of it that way. Is that, is that fair? Like, as a lot of players, I like to watch. I love watching Fernando Tatis or Yelich and Bellinger because they just make it look so easy. I mean, generally, when I talk to players I love to watch, it's going to be a hitter. Juan Soto, man. Like, I could ask you, he's already going kind of in the first round, but he's simulating so well. I, I think Juan Soto, if he wants to steal 15 bases a year, is going to be a, a contender for the number one overall pick in, in like, maybe in a year or two. I think one Soto good. Sabermetric leagues, especially. But even in a regular league, Tristan, if he if we think he can bat three thirty with forty homers and fifteen steals, isn't that what Trout's doing? Mm -hmm. Like, I I don't know why if Soto steals double digit bases, he's not Trout right now. Mm -hmm. So Dan Siborski's zip system uh, provides multi year projections ahead, and they're 
immensely favorable of Juan Soto. Uh, as a matter of fact, when I toss them into any of the, the dollar value generators, Juan Soto becomes 2022's and 2023's best player in fantasy baseball, which I find very interesting. Um, it's one of the reasons, you know, I, I also have a very high opinion of him, so it's not just the Zips thing, but it supports my own opinion that he belongs very high in any sort of dynasty rankings. Um, Trout, I agree. <laughs> How could you? Trout terrifies me whenever my anybody on my team is facing him, including in Sims. Trout is the one guy who positively terrifies me from the pitching side when you're facing him. He, he what he could do. Um, I kind of miss Didi Gregorius. Uh, I really I was. I was so upset to see Didi Gregorius go to the Phillies. As a Yankee fan, I enjoyed watching him. The better defense than he provided than the man behind, you know, that he replaced in Derek Jeter. And I kind of like the swing in Yankee Stadium, and I'm really going to miss that. Just trying to pick a guy who's not so obvious. I think I think any Toronto game to me, I think Bo Bichette's going to be a monster for fantasy. Like, you have ranked 79. I probably have ranked better. But I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if in a year, if, like, we're having this conversation in March and Bo Bichette is, like, our number 28-ranked player. I, I think he's going to be fantastic right now. Um, Vlad, I think, is going to be fantastic. Anyway, we're just kind of wasting time with this answer. But um, it's – it's anyway, let's move on. Why is – you mentioned that it was a, almost a lock that your favorite player to watch is a hitter. Why is that the case? If the pitcher's out there more often, it's just easier to fall in love with the pitcher. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a fair question, I guess. I mean, who, which pitchers do I love to watch? I see – I'm not going to – See, that's the thing. Most of the ones for me are ret- – so – Historically, it was Mattingly for me on the hitting side. I love that swing, the style of it. On the pitching side, it was Mariana Rivera. I, I just something about watching the repetitive nature and the ability to be dominant. I, I loved. There isn't a guy like that today who I watch who I feel is that way. The closest I can get who is non-Yankee was Felix Hernandez, and he's not the same now. I guess I just don't think of pitchers that same way. I wasn't a pitcher growing up, and like I, I, I like batting stances and like. I don't know. I mean, I was going to name a pitcher, but I'm not going to name him because I, I'll be honest, like this wasn't the case 20 years ago, but players who do stuff off the field that I don't like, I don't like watching them play. So, you know, and again, I won't name names, but like there's, there's pitchers out there who've done stuff. I, I would say this, like young pitchers with upside. I want to, I want to see what Julio Urias does. I know. I know. I want to see what Lance McCullers Jr. does. Um, I generally like to watch a lefty since I'm a left-handed pitch, a left-handed thrower. So a lefty who has like, I can't find any right now that just jump out to me that like, I'm like, I have to watch glass now from the right side. But anyway, I, I, I do you agree. Do you see my point? Like, yeah. if, if I see what you mean. Like for me, it's, it's style. They don't have to be great long term. I mean, the first I remember was watching Dontrell Willis living in the I area. I was going to say that with the light kick. And and I mean I knew that there were flaws to his game. I mean that, that none of that shocked me. But like, I grew up with Schmidt and Carlton and Von Hayes, and like the, the other pitchers I remember were just terrible, like Don Carmen and Bruce Ruffin, and it's like we had no pitching. I, I but I was emulating them when I tried to throw because I I couldn't. Really I'll give you throw. another that I really liked, Dan Quisenberry. I like the I I really like submarining pitchers. Next up, Baker wants to know how much weight you put into Mad Bum's home road splits over the past two seasons now that he has a new home and, in theory, loses the home advantage. 
I was just going to mention he's a guy I like to watch pitch because he's, yeah. he's, he's a lefty who repeats his motion. Uh, effort is there. What he did in the World Series is almost in con- – like that's like Michael Jordan-like. What he did in that World Series, nobody else in the last 50 years has done that. Um, but his home road splits are vastly different. But see, while people like Tristan are going to assume that that continues, that you know that like we have to take them seriously. I also think there's a way that he can react to not pitching in San Francisco. It's the op- it's the opposite of Coors Field pitchers to some degree, where you assume that a Rockies hurler is going to pitch great in road games because they pitch so poorly in home games. When they leave the Rockies, that doesn't happen. I don't think Bumgarner is going to get lit up in Arizona. I don't. I think he's going to be a solid pitcher, 350-375 ERA, with more reasonable home road splits, and they may not even look different. His home road numbers might be exactly like now that he's left an extreme pitcher's park. Tristan's going to call me crazy, but that's what <laughs> I believe, and I've got, I've got shares of Bumgarner all over because people are going to assume that he's just going to be awful now with his road numbers the last couple of years. I think part of the reason his road numbers were so bad the last couple of years is because he had the luxury of pitching at home the way he did. And he was like, his body was messed up when he left. Just like we say with Rockies hitters and pitchers, but tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> there you go. Assigning me an opinion again. <laughs> well, is it wrong? Uh, no, is it wrong? I actually don't think you're wrong here. And I think this is a very important lesson for people to pick up. And that is that, especially players in the ballpark extremes on the spectrum, we are now picking the pitcher who once called home the by far most extreme pitcher's park in all of baseball, just like we talk about Coors Field. And you remember a couple of weeks ago, we had that discussion about leaving Coors Field and what that does. And for example, if this season is played outside of Coors Field, what happens to Rockies hitters? There's an adjustment period to bring everything back towards the league average. And I think the same thing is going to happen for Bumgarner in that the home and road splits are going to narrow themselves closer as a member of the Diamondbacks. And I think the overall result is going to be a slight increase in ERA just because he doesn't have that great pitcher's park as his home each and every day. In Chase Field's defense, by the way, with the humidor, it's a much more league average or neutral ballpark than it was. So he's calling from the extreme on the pitching scale. He's bringing it up to neutral. Maybe we bump up his ERA a quarter run. Maybe. All right. Fair enough. Over under 3.55 ERA. That's exact. Like. I'll right. say I'll say over because that's probably the right answer with the base because I'm now, I'm assuming now that baseball and some people are just making just ridiculous decisions. I hope they play this year. Um, I think there's going to be the, the rabbit ball again, so it's going to be harder for pitchers to pitch. Plus, I, I don't one bad outing is going to screw up a pitcher's ERA because these guys are not going seven innings per start. So in Bumgarner's case, by the way. We, we don't know which games he's going to have the dome open, and that is a really terrible spot for a pitcher to be. So he could have one of those bad games there and blow up the ERA, but be otherwise useful. Um, interesting stat, if you believe in the individual ballparks. Chase Field career for Madison Bumgarner, 313 ERA and a 116 whip in 19 career starts. See, part of the problem I have with looking at those numbers, Tristan, is what was he facing? What offenses was he facing? And until I know that answer, it's not enough of a sample size to say that he can pitch well in that stadium. You, you say 19 starts, that should be enough of a sample. But for years, the Arizona didn't hit. So, you know, like 
people used to say, well, look at the numbers of Philly's opponents. And I said, well, look at some of their offenses. How, how could you not you know, do well against them? Or, or pitching well in Miami now when they have a terrible offense. Well, of course you're going to do well. Who's going to hit? It, it's meant to illustrate that he can pitch there. If there's this belief that he's going to a hitter's heaven, he's pitched oh, well there. I don't there think before. that. I think it's the road numbers that people are scared yeah, of, not, not his new home numbers. No, I actually think they're going to take the road numbers that they're, they're going to apply them here. If he was going to Coors Field, if it was like Mike Hampton leaving the yeah, yeah, to Coors, then okay, apply the bad road stats and be terrified because you should be in Coors Field. But here – not so much. And and by the way, I don't I'm not going to take the 313 ERA to heart at all. I'm just illustrating he has pitched successfully there before. He can do it again. And he's going to get a couple starts in San Francisco every year. So, it's not like he's leaving the division. He still gets San Diego, he still gets San Francisco. He was, you know, the same Dodger lineup he had to face. Same cores, so I don't think much changes all that. I don't know. I I guess I could be wrong. Look, if if Bumgarner has a terrible year, a lot of people are going to be looking at me and saying, "You told us he would be fine." I believe he will be fine. Where he's being drafted, I think he's going to be fine. There's a value to where he's being drafted. Yes. All right, then I'm drafting Bumgarner over all over the place and putting on you, Carabo. <laughs> <Go ahead. laughs> I'm leaving Twitter anyway, so it doesn't, it doesn't matter to me. <laughs> But if he hits, I'm giving you credit, too. Kurt's got our last question. He wants to know what Michael Jordan's stat line would look like if he devoted his life to playing baseball. 162 games. What do you got? Well, he obviously would have stolen bases. He was he was good enough to do that. Um, I don't think he ever would have hit for average because I think he, would have, he was going to have problems seeing the pitches and reacting to whether they were fastballs or off-speed stuff. He, he couldn't hit off-speed stuff. So... And now maybe he would have gotten better at it, but I'm thinking of a guy who might have hit 250, and in that era, maybe like 15 home runs, but he might have stolen 30 bases with like an on-base percentage of 300. Like, he was not going to be a high on-base guy, I don't think. And He had way too big a strike zone. Six foot six, that's, that is the obstacle to me for finding a problem. I, yeah, I'm trying to think of a comp here. And, I, and again, it was only I, I one minor league. Like, Mike Cameron with less power? Like, no, because Cameron took walks. I'm trying to think of a, a tall, right-handed hitting outfielder who I don't think is going to hit for batting average. So, he wasn't going to – he actually did take walks his year in Birmingham. He had a decent walk rate, so I'm, maybe I'm wrong about that. Yeah, I don't think he'd be a disaster in terms of the on-base percentage. I mean, the, you know, except for what batting average does to it. Um Taking the height comps, the highest end player, if he was going to become a superstar, let's say, for example, he had always played baseball his entire life and this did pan out, was Dave Winfield in terms of height. Okay. But the guy who actually looked pretty close to me, the, and, and, and none of these are good comps, but the closest was Enos Cabell. That's not bad. Enos Cabell was a, if I remember from the 80 Astros, was a noted non-walker <laughs> he didn't strike out much either yeah like a hint of pop not great for batting average questions on defense even though he might have had the range and he could steal bases but he did get thrown out sometimes like they're they're kind of close and size wise he got thrown out a lot my goodness 18 st- caught stealings in in uh in 79 21 out of 34 in 1980 he's not a good player at all really wasn't and obviously the astrodome like hurt his power but 
and he was caught up in that 1979 case. Well, anyway, um, a tall, yeah, okay. I just, I don't think Michael Jordan would have been a great fantasy asset, but I do think he could have stolen bases. That's about it. He would have been kind of like, uh, not not Jared Dyson. Who's the one we were looking at? It was like a 20, there's like a 20 steel guy who doesn't offer much else. If well, Delano the Shields. Yeah, 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 yeah. Kind of like that. The current Delano the Shields that is actually a pretty good comp, right? I mean. Nah, well, the Shields walks a little more, I think, than Jordan would have. Well, Jordan had 51 walks that season in the minors. In a full season. But, like, I think Jordan would have a little bit more power than that. But, yeah. That could that really could, I mean, hard to tell. The Shields was a 246 career hitter with a 326 on base. I would say Jordan would be 246 with like a 306 on base, but he would run a little bit. But yeah, interesting question. And if you haven't checked out the, the Last Dance, the ten episodes that were on ESPN, I'm not saying it because it's on our network. That was fantastic, just fantastic. I was I was going to tweet out, man, what am I going to do next Sunday? And I'm obviously I'm going to be watching the 30 for 30s that come up in the next couple of weeks on ESPN, Company Man, but because they're. They're good. I mean, the doc. I'm into documentaries, and I got an email today about. I think Kendall Baker Axios, the best fifty best doc sports documentaries. Yeah. I am going to start checking that out right away. It was third on that list, if I'm not mistaken. Right. I won't watch the OJ Simpson one because of him, um, even though it was on ESPN. I heard but it was excellent. Actually, everybody says it was excellent. I just, if you don't like the person, it's hard to get into a show. I, I didn't dislike Jordan. I mean, there's a lot of things we can say about him, but with OJ, man, that's that's different. But that was a very well done documentary. I watched some of it, um, but I, I want to check out some of the other documentaries on the uh, on that list. Uh, it was Axios, if you want to check it out. All right, uh, I guess we have to answer some trivia now, huh? So, what was the question? So the question was, who are the six players who had at least 300 career home runs and stolen bases who are not in the Hall of Fame? Dawson and Mays are in the Hall. They are two of the eight. That have done it all time. I need the six who are not in the Hall of Fame. Well, the two Bonds is an A Rod are obvious, right? That is correct, Barry and Bobby and A Rod. A Rod will be eligible in 2022, which leaves three others. Three other players. A Rod, there for you, Eric, because that's going to be a curious case. <laughs> I have a few fringe guys, but I don't feel great about it. Um. Well, Beltran, right? Carlos Beltran is eligible in 2023 and is another interesting case for <laughs> a certain friend of mine. Um, well, I mean, who knows what the world, you know, what the Hall of Fame voting looks like. I will get to vote for the Hall of Fame in like four years. I will vote for A-Rod. I will vote for Beltran if I, if I can. Um, yeah, I know what they did. They're not likable. But I would also vote for Palmero and – you know, maybe not McGuire because that's a different stat set. You know, I mean, Palmero had 3,000 hits, man. Yeah. But Bonds, it's a museum. How is Bonds not in a museum in Clemens? I, so I, I still think there's an educational advantage to putting them in and just explaining the absolutely. entirety of the story. Just explain what mm-hmm. they did or what they're accused of doing as part of the story. But to keep out one of the best hitters and best pitchers of all time from a museum – I just don't get it. Clemens just threw a one-hit shutout for me in Game 4 of 86 World Series. I'm playing our friend Steve Gardner from USA Today. He's the Mets. I'm the Red Sox. And and Clemens just threw a one-hit shutout on short rest. He's pitching Games 1, 4, and 7. It's the only chance I have to win. That Boston bullpen in 86 was horrific. Horrific. Yep. Calvin Chiraldi was Chris Chiraldi was the only pitcher. Bob Stanley's numbers in 86 were t- t- awful. Yep. Awful. 
They had cold closers just because they didn't have a guy who could handle it all year. I mean, I don't understand. I mean, I understand how they made the World Series, but like, they had one decent reliever. That's it. Yeah. So anyway, um, all right. So we have a couple more guests. We have two, two more, more guys. Names. Yeah, and if you'd like the hint, I can give you the hint. I mean, Eric Davis came to mind for me, but I don't know if he hit for enough power. I think I'll give you the hint. You'll probably need it. Okay. Both of these players were eligible for the uh, eligible for the Hall of Fame ballot in the year 2013. They were both one and done members of that ballot, and neither of them got a single vote for the Hall of Fame. They joined the same year as Barry Bonds. These three guys went on in 2013, but these two players got no votes, were off the ballot in one year. It's not Bernie. Nope. These two were intriguing fantasy options year after year. They were not top picks, but they were consistently drafted for their power and steel contributions. Uh, and Eric Davis is obviously not one of the answers, I assume. Nope. He would have been eligible before 2013. Yeah. But he. I'm going to look it up and see what Eric Davis did. Oh, 282 home runs. Okay, see, he was close. Man, I mean. So they finished in 2007, their careers, these two players. Okay. Um, Kyle, you got anything? Yeah, no, I had Soriano and Bobby Abreu written down, but they're too new, and I'm guessing just missed a cut somewhere. I mean, I think you need to – no, Cameron didn't have that. Cameron would have been – Not my Cameron, but I like the guess. You're you're getting in the ballpark of fantasy types about where you should have been drafting them. Uh. Let's see. I'll give you one hint. It's that one of these players was – which trade was it? Yeah, he was traded in a Kurt Schilling trade. It's not Glenn Davis. <laughs> no. But I think that was the same trade, actually. Same trade? I believe he – yeah, he, this player was included. Oh, Steve Finley. Yes, Steve Finley is one. Okay. Steve Finley was in that original Baltimore trade, yeah. Correct, in 1991, yeah. And this one – this other one was – what about Reggie Sanders? Nice job. Wow. Just pulling names out there. You know, it sounds like he retired about 12, 13 years I'm, ago. No, I, I, I never remember when they retired, but I was yeah, thinking of the Reds. Had all these outfielders that they had Cameron, they had Eric Davis, they had Reggie Sanders. They just had a lot of outfielders who did a lot of things. Yep. That's he had good. enough power to do that? He got, to, yep, 305 homers, 304 steals. Finley was, uh, Finley was 304 and 320. Yeah, because the players in that era hit for more power than you think. They just kept doing it. So, yeah, I was uh, the reason why this came up was I was originally trying to find a Jim Edmonds related trivia. Oh, I love Edmonds. Okay, because <laughs> you well, know Edmonds a, and his career a, homer total, right? Who uh, Jim something Edmonds? Ninety nine was it? Was he one short of something? How many homers did Jim Edmonds hit in his career? Oh, he hit like four hundred, didn't he? Just about, yeah, three ninety three. Yeah, he had a good career. I look, the Hall of Fame stuff bothers me to no end. Bernie Williams, I'm not saying Bernie Williams should be in, but I can make the case, and he's not even on the ballot. And it bothers me that Detroit infielders that you know that Whitaker isn't in, and Daryl Evans should be in. Daryl, no, not Daryl, Dwight Evans, maybe Daryl too. Um, I need to re- I need to review some of the Dwight Evans tape because I've never had that feeling he should belong in, but. I, I like the cases I'm hearing for him. I'm not saying I'm for a bigger haul, but like, I don't know. I just, my era. And then the other one, obvi- I mean, Dick Allen should be in, I think. Yeah. Yep. I, I think he's getting in, in uh, this year. 
on the veterans. Um, anyway, we're just about done for today. We should note that Buster only has been diving into some of the off-the-field stories on his podcast lately, from Mike Greenberg getting thrown out of a clubhouse to Charles Barkley's love for Max Scherzer. Make sure to check out daily baseball tonight shows on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right. Um, Thursday's show, Tristan, will be uh, The Sandlot. That should be a lot of fun. And um, I might have to check it out again. I, I, it's not my favorite. but Don't watch the I, sequel. I've never watched the sequel. I won't watch the sequel. <laughs> I didn't even know there was a sequel. Um, That's why you shouldn't watch it. <laughs> all right. So I'll check it out. And, and look, I hope people are enjoying the movie talk. We'll try to get some regular talk in as well. Get your hash browns. Look, if you want your questions answered, send the hash brown in. <laughs> okay. I don't think we're getting so many that we're going to exclude yours. Uh, that's all for today. Thanks so much to Kyle Sapi. Does a great job producing our show. And Tristan H. Cockroft on another Manic Monday. I am Eric Carabell. Please have an awesome week.